Hello, and welcome to the D1 Softball Podcast. I'm your host, Tara Henry. As always, we are excited to bring you the best of the best in college softball. After the show, head on over to d1softball.com for all the latest stories, coaching scoop, international softball news, fall reports, and more. If you subscribe today, you can use Podcast 20. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T 20 for 20% off an annual subscription. We are excited for today's new episode that features Northwestern head coach, Kate Troham. I'm now by, joined by my special guest co-host of the week, none other than the Kendall Rogers, Ooh. D1Baseball.com, our brother site. Kendall, welcome. I can't believe this is the first time you've joined us on the D1 Softball Podcast. Yeah, you're, you're finally not embarrassed of me anymore, so I'm glad to be here. So, Kendall, uh, pressing questions. Oh, yeah. uh, we'll, get to, we'll get to those in a second, but I actually want to talk to you about uh, mm-hmm. softball league in Houston. Uh, I, I want to know what's happening in the little league circuit in Houston and what's happening oh. with some some girls softball there. So I'm learning a lot of new things about uh, you know women's softball right now uh, at the at the 12U age. So, like my daughter is now like obsessed with. So this league is like very serious. It's like one of the biggest leagues in Houston. And they're very serious. Like you have to have a walk-up song. You have to have a team sponsor, which by the way, I applied for D1 softball to sponsor this team, but apparently someone else got in front of me. So we might have to jockey for positioning on that. But yeah, like she has to have a walk-up song. So like, I, you know, she, she spent like two hours last night going through this list of like walk-up songs that she wants. She's getting on like YouTube reels, looking at whatever, whatever, you know, uh, female player has their walk-up song. And meanwhile, I'm over here going through like old school, like Houston rap and like all this stuff. And my wife's over here like, yeah, that's not going to fly. Like, yeah, the, the like you dropped an F-bomb within like 20 seconds of the song. So uh, yeah, I'm learning some new things. Did you find a, a walk-up song for her? She's still searching. I guarantee you she will search till opening day. Okay. Well, if anybody has any suggestions, please just uh, let us know for that. But let's yeah, get into it. No, I'm looking forward to it, honestly. So it's one of those things where she, you know, the league that she was in before, it was it was a really fun league. She got to be around all of her friends. But now we're reaching the point where, you know, and I'm sure every parent listening to this deals with this at some point. Like, we're now at a point where she's doing basketball. She's doing choir. She's doing softball. She's doing swimming. So now it's like we we moved her to, like, an ultra-competitive league to where you kind of find out, like, is softball the thing for me? So, selfishly, I hope it is for her. Me too. Well, it's important. There's multi-sport athletes as well. We've had various yeah. coaches here that are all no about multi-sport athletes but we'll keep everybody up to date on the houston uh girls um league there for uh, kendall's daughter and, and her walk-up song but i want to get into the pressing news kendall big legislation passed the d1 council with um taking that volunteer assistant position and making it paid tell me what those implications are not only for baseball but uh, for softball yeah, I think the biggest thing when I look at, at both baseball and softball is it, it creates more opportunity. And, and, you know, what I mean by that is when you look at you know, coaches around the country, you know, you look at a head coach, you look at a pair of assistants. And I think when you look at the volunteer role, like I can't tell you how many coaches I've run into, and not as many in softball, obviously, because most of my work's in baseball, but like how many coaches I've run into that literally uh, – I'll bring up a great example. So I'm talking to 
uh, you know, the, the former head coach at St. Peter's uh, about a year ago. And to give you an idea how how different the constraints are from program to program, how different the budgets are from program to program, I'm talking to this coach. And I asked him one day, like, hey, like, what is your assistant budget for your full-time assistants? And it was something like, and this was like two years ago, so my, my numbers might be a little uh, fuzzy, but like, it was something like 17000 for the first assistant and 8000 for the second assistant. So that, that like set off like a alarm bell on my head, like, like, dude, if these, if the full-time guys are making this, like, imagine what the volunteers making on a camp. And so, I mean, first of all, I'm really happy for the volunteers in both softball and baseball, and frankly, volunteers in every sport. I cannot imagine, and granted, some of these volleys are making good money on camps, but I can't imagine these people that are at mid-majors or even low mid-majors that are making, I don't know, I mean, I'm just throwing numbers out, you know, twelve, thirteen thousand dollars $13,000 off a camp during the summer. They can't coach on the field, and they're over here working an insurance or sales job off to the side just to just to keep the their, their electricity on. I mean, uh, it's just it's it, to me it's incredible that we're now in a position to where schools at least have the opportunity, uh, you know, to to make a volunteer a full time paid coach. And you know, we talk about salary, we talk about money, but you know, how how about the benefits involved? I mean, if you're at a state university, I, I mean, first you're out in California. If you think about the California state system or the UC system, and you're a volunteer at UCLA, and suddenly you're getting full benefits in the UC system, uh, there's a lot of things at play there. I mean, you're talking about pensions, you're talking about health benefits, uh, you know, you're talking about, you know, vision care, dental care. So there's a lot of different different things at play here. And so, um, you know, obviously, on, on one hand, uh, a lot of programs will, will fund this. On the other, schools have a really tough decision to make because you aren't required to pay someone as a full-time coach, but they are called a full-time coach. So, you know, you know, things are a little different state to state, but like, if you're in California, if you're in Texas and you're UCLA and you have a volunteer who is unpaid and they're considered a full-time coach, you're really, really opening yourself up to lawsuits. And so this is why the NCA is ultimately doing this. They're not doing this because, oh, we really care about volunteer assistance across the country. That's <laughs> not it at all. What they're doing is they know they're about to be sued. As, as a matter of fact, they were sued by two vol former baseball volunteers back in November. And so they realize they're about to get sued into oblivion. So now they're saying, you know what, uh, if you're Cal Poly or you're, you know, uh, you know, Arkansas State, like, hey, like yeah, the, the onus is on you now. Like, you you got to deal with this stuff. So I just don't think schools are going to feel like it's worth. I mean, let's just say you're paying somebody 30 or 40 grand, 50 grand for that third spot. I don't think schools are going to go, you know what, screw them. We're not giving them 30 grand for this position. Uh, we'll take our chances in court. You're going to end up paying a lot more money in court fees uh, fighting this against whoever's going to sue you than you would just funding it. So I think schools will fall in line. I don't think it's going to all happen on day one, but I think they will fall in line. And playing devil's advocate here, I know there are a lot of mid-major programs or, or programs across the yeah. country that don't necessarily have the financial backing yeah. to put this into um, to play what is going to happen there and what do you think they're going to have to do in order to, to really fund this, this position? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like a coach said, I think it was, uh, it might've been the, the mayor's softball coach to reach out to me. And, and it was a good question. It's like, Hey, like, you know, you talk about fundraising, like it's easy, but it's not exactly that easy. And I would agree with that. Like fundraising is not easy. It's not easy to go to someone and go, Hey, uh, 
give me $35,000. You know, like, you know, when somebody, when that happens, somebody's like, hey, well, like, what do I get in return? Like, I'm just giving you 35 grand. But, you know, at, at, at the same token, I would say this. I would say, A, I, I feel like most schools will end up funding this by the time, you know, by, by the time, you know, we get to the, let's say the end of the year, we get to July 1 when this goes into effect. Uh, you know, and I think, you know, when you look at the landscape of, you know, college athletics as a whole, you know, baseball and softball are, are growing immensely. I mean, softball has actually had years where they've outdrawn baseball in terms of viewership on, on television. Baseball is growing at an exponential rate. And these two sports are big enough now. They're to the point now where, you know, like they shouldn't just stop what they're doing and stop advancing because, oh, by the way, uh, 30% of the programs can't immediately fund this 100%. Okay, that, you know, that's that stinks. But at the end of the day, if you can advance softball, you can advance baseball, uh, you, you, you accomplish that by any means possible. And this is one of the ways you accomplish that. So, you know what, at the, at the end of the day, if like there's some programs that can't do it, then, hey, s- such is life, right? Like, you know, we don't, we don't all play by the, play with the same cards, so to speak. And so, uh, I mean, I, I would have this out, out, kind of outlook on baseball and softball in general. I think in the future, they need to set coaching benchmarks in terms of number of coaches that are fully funded. What I mean by that is like coaches that are actually being paid as full-time coaches. And also as we get into this whole realm of scholarships with the transformation committee over the next couple of years, whenever they increase scholarships for baseball and softball, I would actually have a maximum and a minimum to actually play the sport. I mean, uh, you know, so I'm t- sure there's plenty of examples in softball, but I mean, on the baseball side, I mean, I know of programs that have three scholarships and they're competing against, uh, you know, they're competing against power five schools. Like, why is that happening? And so I think you set minimum minimums and maximums on scholarships and coaches and kind of go from there. Yeah. And I, I agree with you, Kendall, I think in looking at it, how I view it is it's just providing another opportunity for somebody to be a coach, yeah. especially on the softball side. I think there are a lot of young players and, and women that are in the sport that want to stay in the sport. And I think this allows them that opportunity yeah. and ability to get paid. And it's not all about, you know, running camps or doing, you know, a lot of coaches still to this day, even assistant coaches, they, they have hitting at their facilities to, to help pay the bills. So they're still giving hitting yeah. lessons. No, you're right. And and I would argue this too, and this would be my message for administrators on the softball side is, is I would really, really, really urge them to fund these positions because here's the thing. Baseball is a privileged sport. I mean, if a baseball coach doesn't get fully funded, guess what he does? He goes to the minor leagues and serves as a pitching liaison number 18 for the Kansas city Royals. He does things like that. Like those kind of opportunities aren't as as a plenty in softball at the professional level. So I think for me, it's just from a thirty thousand point of view on softball. Like to me, it's even more important to fund these positions if you're on the softball side of things. Yeah, I agree with you, Kendall. And then so that's obviously the baseball and softball that that yeah. assist. Um, volunteer and then on softball side just specific to softball just adopted the mid-transfer rule so no longer able to transfer mid-year and play that that ensuing season so more along the lines of baseball uh, and you were able to as a softball player play for one team in the fall and then transfer and be able to play 
mid-year transfer mid-year and then play for another institution uh, just heading into season so that takes that away I know you guys have been dealt dealing with this on the baseball side what is what is that implication like and what have you seen on the baseball side what is that going to do for us uh in terms of softball well one of the biggest things is it helps the student athlete um you know I mean if you're in a position where you're trying out for the team at Arizona State and you in you know you go oh you know what I'd like to go to Oklahoma mid-break well I mean that, that's not good for anybody. I don't think it's really good for the, the player in terms of having to have that much of a change at the break. I don't think it's obviously very good for the team. So I, I just think, that to, to me, that's just a very iffy area. Like, I, I, I mean, I can't, as a coach, imagine uh, go, you know, having a kid call me and go, you know, I'm, da- I'm down the road at San Diego State, and I really want to just come to UCLA at midterm and going, okay, well, come on. You know, like, man, that just, just sounds bad. So – uh, I, I like it. I will say this. I will say this is a caveat to this rule, and I would have this in every sport. I do feel like if a player is cut at the end of the fall, that they should be allowed to play in the spring. I do believe that if they're in good academic standing, if they're cut in the fall, uh, you know, it, it's dealt with in baseball a lot because, I mean, there, there were teams this fall in baseball that had like 60 players in the roster, uh, you know, because COVID is still still wreaking some havoc on some of these rosters. So I think if a kid is cut in the fall, they should be able to transfer. The problem you run into with that is if somebody's cut in the fall and let's say they're at Florida, this, this applies to softball or baseball. If they're at Florida and they want to go to, let's just, I mean, I'm just throwing a UAB or something. Well, guess what? If you take that player in, like somebody on your roster is going to have to go. And so I just, I just think that just creates a really weird dynamic. And frankly, I mean, I'd be curious to hear this from softball coaches. Like, how, like, how does that that affect like the team culture? Having like a player show up at mid break, and all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, they're a starter. You know, like, you know what? If if I'm at if I'm at UCLA, and, I, and I'm just pointing out to UCLA because this is the most biggest example I know of uh, from the San Diego State um, player a couple of years ago, is when you like, if I'm a player and I bust my, you know what, in the fall. Like I fought for a starting job or something and I have a player roll in and just take over my spot, man, I'm pretty pissed. And so I just think, I think this solves a lot of issues in softball. Yeah. I mean, for an example, we had Sarah Kinch out of Minnesota. She transferred yeah. to Arizona state this year. So she'll be playing for Arizona state, the Sun Devils that will not be allowed next season. So again, I think it's player by player. I think there are some instances where it's a good thing for the player, but now I think across the board, uh, we'll be able to have a little bit of clarity and you're going to have to sit out a year and you're going to think twice before transferring. And on both sides, like you said, I don't think it's great for the player or the coach. Now, are there certain instances? Yeah. Where it is? Uh, yes, I do. But um, that's some big news. And that'll, that'll be in effect next year. So it doesn't, it's not into account this year. It'll be in fact next year. Yeah. And the other, the other thing that's been really interesting is I was just talking to a couple of people from the NSCA and uh, the ABC about this a week ago. Uh, in Nashville is like I've never understood why baseball and softball's rules are so vastly different you know one of the things that one of the things I noticed like here recently in terms of legislation is like you know the thing that's really interesting about softball and they and they've and they've been really good in terms of like promoting this and making this a big part of like the production in, in Oklahoma City and things like that is like I love all the celebrations, right? Like the celebrations, the dugout, the chants and stuff like that. Like those things are awesome. 
Well, like baseball, like all of a sudden out of nowhere because of Tennessee last year, which I mean, uh, people haven't said names, but I mean, let's let's be honest. It was Tennessee acting like a bunch of crazy, crazy people, which I kind of love, actually. But they're actually getting rid of any kind of celebrations in baseball. Wow. Like baseball had the same rule softball now or no softball is reversing. Right. Softball is like making it a bigger deal to do that. And baseball is saying, hey, no celebrations whatsoever. So, like, it's just strange to me how, like, the two sports can be so similar, but, like, some of the off-the-field stuff differs greatly. I think it's a yo-yo effect on both sides. I mean, we yeah. you could celebrate, and then you could, and then you couldn't. Now you can celebrate again uh, for softball. Yeah. So it's, it's, again, maybe getting more in line. I think maybe we should figure out how we can get the ABCA and the NFCA together. Uh, to, to hey, man, those- that'd be awesome. Maybe we could like maybe we can do a D one baseball D one softball like joint symposium. What is it? We call it a symposium seminar. I don't know. We call it some <laughs> something official. I know it would be a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, a couple of drinks would be had. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, that that's gonna that's gonna do it for our intro for the podcast. Um, head on over to the site d1softball.com. We've got our top one hundred up there on the site, along with all of our reports on the various uh, programs, all our fall reports, we're, we're closing those up and we'll get you the top 25. It's dropping Monday of next week. And again, that top 100 list, just take a look at those players, those top hundred players in division one softball heading into the 2023 season. Uh, Tiari Jennings uh, from Oklahoma. Uh, no surprise there on our end, but uh, incredible to watch. And uh, I know Kendall, I think we're going to have to have you back uh, on the podcast. <laughs> During the, Let's the- do it. I, I'd love to. I, you know, to be honest with you, I'm going to go print out my D1 softball top 100 list and start doing some studying. <laughs> I love it. Well, we're going to get into our guest of the week. We're joined by Northwestern head coach Kate Drohan. Enjoy the interview. Uh, thanks so much, Kendall, for joining us on the D1 you softball. Got it. Pod. Anytime. Hello, Tara Henry here, back with the D1 Softball Podcast, joined by our guest of the week, none other than Northwestern's head coach, Kate Drowen. Kate, thank you so much for joining us this week. Thanks, Tara. It's good to spend some time with you. All right, so we'll go through a little bit of Kate's kind of resume. Uh, it's quite vast and long, so we'll just I'll keep it short for you all. Uh, in her in twenty one seasons at Northwestern, uh, seven seven hundred and three wins, uh, four hundred and one. Uh, got the seven hundredth win just a season ago. Big Ten Coach of the Year last season. Incredible run by the Wildcats uh, heading to the Women's College World Series. Uh, just uh, a few months ago, and um, three Big Ten titles uh, in her tenure, and, and also runner-up in 2006, which we'll chat about because I was I was there uh, to witness some of that. But Kate, thank you so much for joining us this week. Um, what's happening and what's going on in Evanston right now? Well, the weather is actually gorgeous. Um, yeah, it would be a really great game day for us right now. Um, our team has been, uh, we've been going at it for about a week and a half. Uh, they came back in pretty good shape. So I'm pleased with that, but, um, they've been a lot of fun to work with. And Kate, I saw you at the NFCA convention, uh, just finishing your tenure as the president of NFCA. What was that like? Uh, Cause that's a pretty big stint three years, uh, as president of the NFCA and looking back, what do you think you accomplished during that time? And I know it was quite difficult because there was, uh, it was COVID during uh, your tenure there. 
Well, on a personal level, I got to experience two things that are that were pretty impressive. The first is, as the president, you, you kind of work closely with the staff at the NFCA and you really understand how they work. And Carol Bruggeman's leadership is phenomenal and, and how she's continued to establish a pattern of growth with our association, even through COVID has been tremendous, right? So you, you get firsthand experience with that. And the second thing that I really enjoyed about my time was you get to know a lot of other coaches at different levels. You know, you understand what's happening at division two, II, division three, um, and so you make a lot of really cool relationships and I learned a lot from a lot of different people that I wouldn't have probably really had relationships with otherwise. So that's like kind of been my favorite thing with the NFCA so far. And you talk about the coaches in the other divisions. What does that kind of look like? Or, or was it a, you know, monthly round table or were you able to connect with those coaches? What was that like if people are interested in other levels in, in joining the NFCA? You just get exposed to really the unique challenges that we all face as coaches. Um, many, many other coaches at other schools are multitasking and they're, they're doing multiple jobs. And so you see how everything sort of fits together. But I was really inspired. There are a lot of really, really smart people in the room. And let's talk a little bit about uh, last season because... It was one of the, a historic run for Northwestern softball. Obviously we can equate it to 2006, but what was it like for you to coach that squad? Because I think even witnessing or being a spectator from the beginning of season, you could see there was some magic uh, with that group. And uh, what was it like to coach them and eventually end up in Oklahoma City? Well, let me start by saying like winning is really fun, right? Like winning is fun. And be, because we were able to win some big games and some key games, you know, some people took notice. But we knew right from the start in September that this was going to be a really fun, special, very competitive and very resilient group. We could see that with how they trained, like really how much they enjoyed the game, how willing they were to be pushed around the game. You know, so we set a pretty good pace early. And the second thing that was, I, I just think so impactful to our experience was how they treated each other. And they, they celebrated the differences in each other. They gave each other some space to learn and grow and to make mistakes and, and to support each other through that. Um, so we knew that this was gonna be a really great group with some, some tremendous leadership from within, you know, and, and that's, I think the special thing, that's, that's what drives your, your team chemistry and your team culture. Um, so we were able to do some fun, we were able to loosen the reins a little bit as a coaching staff and our staff was, was really in sync too. And I think that was key. Um, but we won some key games early. And I think that what that did is it gave our team some confidence and, um, and they started to play a little freer and they started to take chances. And, and that's, I think that's what people love to see on the field, you know, is watching a bunch of women just go for it. And, oh, we're down by four, that's okay. We're not gonna mope or, or feel sorry for ourselves in the dugout. Uh, and, and so that, that, that kind of vibe, we talked a lot about our vibe and protecting our vibe. Um, you know, and the, the other thing I'll say that's, that I think was, was really um, part of the fabric of our team last year was they were really unselfish, right? So we have Rachel Lewis, who's chasing the home run record. And yet our team was so focused on bases. So we would just count bases at the end of each weekend. Like how many bases did we earn? 
So if Rachel could put four up there a couple of times, awesome. But if she got hit by a pitch or a walk and then she stole and then she advanced on a ball in the dirt and then scored on a ground ball, that's, those are her four bases too. So there was a lot of really unselfish play that we saw. And you mentioned the coaching staff. Uh, if those that you don't know, obviously you coach with your twin sister, Carol, what's that relationship that like been like over the years and how does that dynamic work having your sister uh, on staff? I, I'll, I'll, I've said this so many times, but we're so fortunate to be able to do this together. I mean, think about as a, as a coach, you know, you just, it's a lifestyle. You're in it all the time. And to be able to do that with family, with that kind of support is really fun. And when you do it with someone who knows you really well, you know, and we, yes, we drive each other crazy all the time, you know, and, but, but we're surrounded by our other staff members in our team that, that really get us, you know, they don't, they don't jump on the roller coaster with us, but um, you know, I think Carol's one of the best in the business. She does such a great job of breaking down the game and teaching the game. Um, and, and we need that in our program. And so she really takes the lead there. And you talked a little bit about yourself, but obviously Michelle Gasconi and then Tony Smith joined uh, this year as well. Can you elaborate on what Tony has kind of brought to uh, the table for you? Yeah, uh, Tony's an incredible teacher as well. And to watch him work with Carol and for them to bounce ideas off of each other, um, it's been really, really fun. He is one of the most positive people I've ever met, has incredible energy, but also has this really diverse background with so much baseball and also analytics and technology. So what he's brought to the table is, um, okay, like, like let's measure it. And then let's, what's our goal? How do, what do we want to get? And then how do, how are we going to really teach this approach or teach this, this kind of philosophy? So he's added it. He's added a lot. I think the team really loves him. He's just a fun, fun guy to be around too. And you're, when you talk about analytics without giving away all your secrets, uh, what what type of uh, things has he implemented that you've seen that really have made a, an immediate impact for uh, the hitters or the pitchers or, or what you've seen as a whole, what he's brought kind of to the table from the baseball side? Well, what Tony's brought from MLB is the the need to really be clear about what each player development plan looks like. You know, like, so our, our players have a good understanding of, hey, I'm really good at this, whether mm-hmm. it's um, a, a throw, a, um, a pitch that they want to attack, whatever it is, like we really work hard to identify our strengths so they can go out in the field and execute with a lot of confidence. And then we look at areas where we want to improve or pitches maybe we don't want to swing at at all or, you know, pitches we only want to swing at in certain counts. So it's just kind of breaking the game down to a really specific level that's also unique to each individual. We don't do like a cookie cutter kind of philosophy and system here. Uh, we think each, each athlete is really different and they move in a really unique way and they have unique patterns. So we try to identify that and then work from there. And looking ahead to the 2023 season, like you said, you've already, you're already back on the field, uh, heading back to school just a couple of days after the new year. Uh, obviously, Danielle Williams is back in the circle for you, but what are you most excited heading into season? I mean, you've already got to see them uh, back on the field. Uh, you said they were back and ready and, and uh, in shape, but what have you seen in your squad kind of in the, in the first week back uh, from break? Again, a lot of the same in terms of they are showing up to practice really excited to play the game. Um, they're not backing down from challenges or hard work. And they're, 
what I see from a lot of the veterans is that they're really excited to, to teach the way, you know, and to show the younger players, okay, this is what you need to do in January. This is what you can't do in January, you know, and this is how, this is how we're going to build throughout the year. And our younger players, they are so fun, right? And this is a great recruiting class for us with our freshmen. But also when you look at our sophomores and our juniors, the way they've grown, um, it, it, I, I can't say enough about the maturity that I'm seeing throughout. Um, you know, but, but the biggest question we had was like, okay, what's our hunger going to be like right now? Like, what do we have the maturity to say, okay, now we're back to, we're zero and zero here. Like, what's the, how are we going to define this team? And, and, um, and we're really feeling it. So, you know, whether we're a practice or whether we're playing in a game, I just like being around them. And I think looking back to obviously the previous season, that, that series at Tempe at ASU, I think was huge and watching it uh, from afar and, and seeing that team, uh, like you said, have that gritty mentality. Uh, like you said, how do you, how do you actually replicate that? Do, do the, do the veterans um, have that in mind or are they thinking about, Hey, we're getting back to the women's college world series again this year. Is, is that the goal or is it still just about the process? Uh, well, that's, that's what we work for every year. You know, we've talked about getting there for 21 years now, right? We, we talk about it every year. We don't talk about it a lot. We mentioned it early in the, in September, and then we get to work on our process. Um, we've also been really specific about the words we use. So we don't want to, we don't want to replicate anything. We don't want to get back to anything. We're really looking forward. Um, this team will have a very unique journey. You know, uh, Maeve Nelson as a fifth year is different than Maeve Nelson as a, as a senior. So what have we learned and how can we get even better? So we've been very deliberate in kind of allowing them to let last year be last year, put it down. You don't have to carry it. You don't have to get there um, and really think about like, okay, what do we want to do today? What does a 2023 team want to do today? And looking ahead to your schedule, uh, you will come out to the Mary Nutter. You also are in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. When you're putting your schedule together, what are you kind of looking at for your team? And, and uh, what are the kind of key factors that you take into uh, account when putting together a schedule? Because I know it also is done kind of, you know, in advance. But what are you looking for? You know, we have um, control over our schedule to a certain extent, right? We, we play the first 25 games on the road. So there are times where we are at the mercy of those other people building our schedule, right? So when we choose where we're going, we want to go, we're chasing weather, obviously. We need to find the good weather. Um, we we want to go places where people are going to treat us well, you know, and, and, and do that kind of thing. And then in terms of building our schedule and our opponents, we wanted a good balance. Um, you know, and you're always trying to, to fit the level of what you think your team can handle. I thought starting fast last year was key for our team. So we're obviously doing it again with some big games in that first weekend. Um, and then another thing we really thought about was we wanted to go play. We wanted to go play in Oklahoma City again. You know, we wanted to get back to the Hall of Fame Stadium. And um, and we we thought that that was really important for our team, too. Um, but, you know, we're, we go to the Mary Nutter every year and we love it. You know, it, it's... I, our parents would be mad at me. Our administration would be mad at me if we didn't go. It's just become part of uh, our routine and uh, our team really loves playing there. What do you think they love most about the Mary Nutter? I mean, I, I mean, it's been going on for ages at this point, but, and, and um, I know what I love about it, but what do you love most about the Mary Nutter? 
I think it's a great destination for our families, you know, so that's an important piece of it. The competition is tremendous. The venue and the energy in the venue, um, it's a great, it's a great early test for our team. Like you got to learn how to play in front of fans. You've got to learn how to play under some pressure. Um, and it's a great gauge to kind of see where we're going. Um, smell the tri-tip doesn't hurt, you know, like all those, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a, there's a real festival feel to it. Um, and that's our, our team. Like you want to see our team play boring softball, come to a Wednesday afternoon, you know, <laughs> but that's, that's fun. Our team really gets up for that stuff. Yeah. I think the tri-tip, um, what's that Wrigley over there that is right next to, uh, yeah. you know, that, and Deb Hartwig always tries to get us on Wrigley as much as she can. So that's, <laughs> it's a good scene for us. Yeah. Shout out to Deb Hartwig. She does a, a ton of work for that. And, and she is the heartbeat of that, that, um, that tournament. She's uh, awesome. And that, again, that's another reason why we come back every year. She treats us great. So it's, it's awesome. And I'm going to kind of try, kind of dial it back a bit. You, you obviously, um, have been at uh, Northwestern for almost uh, two decades, over two decades, but learned from Sharon Drysdale and took over for her. We're assistant coach for her and then took over at the head coach. What did you learn from Sharon and what values do you think, you know, what did values did she instill in you uh, as you became a head coach? Oh man. I mean, I learned everything from her, you know, and it, it was, I came to Northwestern to, to work with her, you know, and, and, um, there are a couple of things where I think Drysdale really excels. And the first is around the game, the rules of the game, um, how to manage a game, how to make adjustments in game, how to see the game, like every, everything that, that she did in the dugout, I think was really ahead of her time. And she was tremendous with that. Um, and the second thing with Drysdale is it, just how she treats people. You know, I came in as a unknown assistant. And she was so generous in terms of allowing me to find my own coaching voice by teaching our team on the field and figuring out what worked for me, what felt right for me and what didn't work. She was just so generous and so supportive. Um, and she's just a really kind, loving person, you know, and, and that's, that matters, you know, that matters. And she led the program here for 24 years and it's no coincidence either. She brought them to the world series. Um, but I think her impact around the game is really tremendous as well. Um, but we, we keep in close contact. I went to see her over the holidays. So she, um, you know, I, I, I think that she is what Northwestern softball is all about. And what, okay. So let's switch gears here. Kate Dorian, you don't have softball that day. What exactly are you doing on your day off, I don't think you take very many, but when you do, what are you doing on a day off? Oh man, lots of stuff. First of all, my nine-year-old daughter, Ellis is, uh, you know, I try to spend every minute, free minute with her as I can. And she's a lot of fun. Uh, she does a lot of activities. She's, she likes softball enough, you know, so she, she's, she's a really good hitter. Uh, she's got some good power. We're working on her overhand, but, um, but she's a lot of fun and, and we're really embedded in the community here in Evanston. It's a, it's a tight knit community and um, we're really involved in her school and different things like that. So that's, that's, that's about, uh, that's about as exciting as it gets. <laughs> there's no outdoors happening. There's no hiking. Oh yeah. I, the lake okay. is awesome. We live about a mile from the lake. So my daughter and I will jump on our bike. We're at the lake almost every day in the summer. 
Um, so we have a lot of fun there too. That's, that's, I think the lake really adds a, um, a lot of kind of a good feel to our community and makes it really vibrant too. Favorite Netflix show or favorite streaming show? Do you have any? Uh, I don't have Netflix. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Um, favorite streaming show and only streaming show, Ted Lasso, of course. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's a gem. <laughs> favorite food? Oh, uh, favorite food. Oh, man, I like some good pasta. Like, I like a good, well-made pasta. What kind? Red, red sauce, white sauce? Um, just some olive oil, red pepper flakes, some spinach and Parmesan cheese, you know, all that good stuff. Simple. Favorite place to eat on the road with the team? Um, in the lobby of our hotel. <laughs> I <laughs> like whatever, whatever is delivered that day. I, I like keeping it really low key. I, I'm not great at restaurants. I like keeping it low key with our family there and then uh, getting into some video. <laughs> Favorite game to play on the road? Uh, Euchre. Euchre. Euchre, the card game. It's a really fun game. Good midweek. No, what is Euchre? I've never played. Oh, it's kind of like an interesting combination of like hearts and spades and you have a partner, uh, four people play. I'll have to teach it to you. Next time I'm with you, I'll, I'll teach you how to play. <laughs> okay, we're going to learn uh, you, Kurt, next time. Uh, and then favorite book? Um, man, that's a tough one. Uh, my favorite book ever is probably The Life of Pi. It's kind of some fiction there. It's, it's, yeah. it's a good one. Uh, really impactful kind of when I read it that time of my life. Um, but I'm kind of a reader. It's hard for me to pick a favorite. And do you do podcasts? Do you listen to podcasts? Not much. Nope. Um, well, you can Except just yours, of course. <laughs> you can just listen to this one. Um, I love it. Well, Kate, thank you so, so much uh, for joining us uh, this week on the D1 Softball Podcast. I cannot wait for a season. I'm going to see you at Mary Nutter for sure. Great. Uh, I'll bring you a tri-tip sandwich while you're on third base. Awesome. That'll be great. My dugout will love it. <laughs> <laughs> Share with the dugout. Uh, and best of luck this season. And um, please, uh, hopefully you can come back on the show during season and we can chat all things uh, Northwestern softball. Uh, and and would you like to have a, a closing go cats? <laughs> I'm too predictable, huh? Yeah, well, I, I can't, I can't, I can't go without that. But Tara, thank you for having us on, um, you know, and talking about our program and also your great coverage of our sport. We appreciate it. Go Thanks Cats. Thanks so much. <laughs>